Hello and welcome to Ian Pringle Reads. I'm Ian Pringle and today I will be reading you a story called The Pirates and the Village by Lee Garrett. Uh, Lee Garrett is a writer. He has a book coming out, New Worlds, which will be coming out imminently on Amazon and lots of other platforms. Um, and if you like his stuff, he has a book out already um, called Other Lands, which is a collection of uh, stories and poems, all with a sci-fi leaning. Uh, this is, I guess, best described as a kind of a, a, a dark tale. Uh, probably good for some children, um, but, you know, it's got, definitely got some dark themes. Here you go. The Pirates and the Village by Lee Garrett Read by Ian Pringle The village was poor. It had always been poor. No one knew why. Huddled between sea and moor, the animals the villagers raised quickly sickened and died. Too many of the few villagers who still tried to fish died in sudden storms, got tangled up in nets and dragged to the depths. A curse, some of the old crones said. But by whom? Others thought it was God who punished them for their wickedness and hauled the rocks of which the land was fruitful and built an ugly little church that glowered on the headland. Like all the things the villagers did, though, it was ugly and badly built, and the first winter storm wrecked it. The villagers didn't rebuild it. God hates us, they said, and with that they finally turned against the world, bitter and angry and hateful living off the crabs and seaweed they scrounged from the shore. One day, though, a miserable man and a mean woman had a baby. They called the baby Jack, and he wasn't miserable or mean. He never stopped laughing, even though his laughs were only ever returned by scowls from his parents. As he grew older, though, he learned that to laugh might get him a slap, or at best a harsh word. So he stopped. But even in his straightest face, his eyes seemed to smile, as if everything his parents and villagers did was laughable. Which it was, of course. And quite soon, Jack found himself all alone. The other children, weak, sad things, weren't allowed to play with him. The adults all turned their backs on him. His parents still allowed him his bed, just and a share of their meagre cold meals, but that was the limit of their charity. Good, Jack thought. They can keep their bloody crabs. And so Jack spent his days walking the beaches and hills, exploring the cliffs and woods. But although Jack was a very special boy, no boy can stay happy for long with only birdsong and the wind for conversation. Slowly his smile started to fade. He started to spend more time in the village, morosely gathering crabs, which, for sport, the children would maim and crush cruelly. And as the years passed, Jack became part of the village once more, and a sadness settled on him like the deep snows of winter. One night there was a terrific storm. At noon the clouds boiled black and angry on the horizon, then, with a slam of cold wind and salt spray, it was upon them and howled and roared all day and all night. When the next morning dawned, bright and cold, a ship was in the bay, and as Jack gazed at it wonderingly, 
a boat was lowered over its side. Then men climbed into it and started to row for the beach. The next few days were the noisiest ones Jack had ever known. The pirates took over one of the hovels, sending the occupants packing to a chorus of boos and kicks. And for the next four days and nights, the music, the roaring, the swearing and fighting were heard even over the sea. The villagers huddled in on themselves. Few left their houses. Hide, was the thinking. Hide and skulk till they go, which they surely must. Children, though, even the poor boys and girls in this village, don't like to hide inside for long. And so it was that on the fifth morning of the invasion, Jack and the other children were stood around aimlessly, suddenly kicking stones, when suddenly a pirate boy approached them. The children stood and watched him come closer in silence. None of them had ever met anyone from outside their village before. The boy walked right up to them whistling. He was tall and blonde, Sun and salt had scattered his face with freckles. My name's Pete, Pirate Pete, he said, and his face broke into a broad smile. The children, though, they didn't like pirates. They didn't like boys who whistled, boys with freckles who smiled all the time. So they muttered glumly amongst themselves, then, in sorry little clumps, they started to drift off, and soon they had all walked away. All except Jack. Pete turned to him, and his eyes flashed. Well, looks like you and me. Fancy coming hunting? Hunting? Jack stammered. Aye, come on. And with that, Jack and Pete were away, at the rock pools, making grabs for the fleeing octopus. Jack hadn't laughed for a long time, and the first time he laughed at Pete slipping and tumbling into the sea, he flinched suddenly as he remembered the slaps and cruel looks he usually got. But of course, this time, he didn't. And as Jack continued to laugh, a funny thing happened. For suddenly, he saw the village for what it was. He looked back to the line of dirty hovels fringing the beach, thought of his parents skulking inside, eating a crab cold in the dark. Pathetic, he thought. Miserable and pathetic. Then he looked back as Pete rose out of the frigid pool with a roar, smiling from ear to ear, and he remembered something he'd almost forgot. That this was life. The sun and the sea, the dolphins that jumped, the birds that sang, to fall into the sea and to come out laughing. The boys played till the sun went down, then Pete, with a wave of his hand, said, I'll see you, Jack, and went off, whistling back to the ship. When the next morning dawned, Jack woke up and knew straight away that something was different. The music had stopped, the laughter, the screams. Quickly he got up. The ship, which had sat neglected till now, was busy with activity. Sails were being raised, and as he watched, a skull and crossbones was hoisted into position and started to flutter in the strengthening breeze. The villagers, who had been waiting for this, crept out and glared with bloodshot eyes. There were just a few pirates still left on the beach. A couple of men carried down empty kegs to the bobbing rowboat, Pete behind them. That's it, thought Jack. That's the end of that. And the sadness suddenly overwhelmed him, and he found himself walking over the beach and sitting on a large boulder facing the cliffs at the end of the bay. And as he sat, he hugged his knees and cried. 
he felt a hand on his shoulder gently shaking him. When Jack lifted his head up, Pete, a mass of teeth and salt-crusted hair, was stood there, beaming at him. You didn't think I'd leave you, did you? I couldn't leave you with all these miserable buggers. Besides, I'm fed up being the only boy on the ship. You're coming with us. I've had a word. We're always glad of another hand. As the ship sailed out of the bay, Jack looked back. On the beach, he could see his parents standing. Jack waved, but no one waved back. And as he watched, they turned away and went back inside as it started to rain. The village was now barely visible, dwarfed by the heath that reared up behind it. I thought I'd live all my days there, and now I'm here, he thought. My life has changed. How strange it all is. And he stood watching until he couldn't see the land at all, and it was the sea all around. But life on the ship was hard too. For the next days, it was just rain and wind. Jack felt so sick, he wished at times he could just be rolled off the deck into the sea and be done with it. Yes, he thought, how nice it would be to float down and lie still on the bottom. The other pirates moaned at this clumsy boy sprawled in the hold, grunted at him to move, aimed the odd kick at him when he didn't respond, but nothing too hard or malicious. He was Pete's friend, after all. There wasn't really any work for Jack to do, so as long as he was out of the way, they didn't mind. Pete was with him near all of the time, with a crust of bread or a cup of beer or water. You'll be right, my arty. Just need to get it all out of your system. Jack did get better, but he never did get all right. The heaving stopped, but a nausea always remained. Jack tried to make the best of it. One morning, seeing the pirate swabbing the decks, feeling guilty at his sloth and sickness since being aboard, Jack started to help. He was nervous, though, and clumsy, ham-fisted. Spilt buckets rolled across the deck. When Jack went to retrieve it, he slipped and landed on his arse. What was worse, though, was these pirates, who would laugh and roar at anything, just glared at him and shook their heads. He was becoming a nuisance. Don't worry, said Pete. You'll get used to it. But he didn't. And slowly he started to think of cool, dappled woods, of the heath humming with insects under the summer sun. One day the rain stopped and the clouds drifted away. The sun rose hotter and heavier than anything Jack thought possible. A tension seemed to fill the boat. What is it? asked Jack one day. We're getting closer, said Pete. Then one afternoon it was there, on the horizon, a tiny speck. And Jack realised it was a boat and that they meant to catch it. Jack had forgot. They were pirates. It seemed impossible to ever catch something so far away, but slowly, incredibly, that is what they did. Each day that dawn saw the boat get closer, the speck grew into a dot, the dot turned into a ship. By the third day, they were upon it. A big, slow, floundering thing, a ship made for trade, for carrying weight, for hugging the coast. They were so close now that the sailors on it could be seen individually, young and old, short and tall. They were trying to look brave, you could tell, and some even shouted oaths and threats. But even Jack could tell that really they were all very afraid, which made sense, as they were outnumbered, outweaponed, and being hunted by pirates that flew a skull on top of their boat. I suppose, Jack thought, that they really are brave to be able to pretend so. 
Will they all be killed? He asked Pete. Pete scratched his head and looked over at the boat as if he'd never given that question much thought. We're pirates, he said. That's what we do. But Jack noticed he didn't smile as he said this. When the pirate ship rammed into the side of the other boat and grappling hooks were thrown across, Pete was by his side. Amongst the rushing legs and roars of the charging pirates, they fled to the heart of the ship. Jack never forgot what he saw that day. He wanted to look away, but he couldn't. The blood on the decks. The screams. Pete, at his side, looked over at the carnage, looked back at Jack. We're pirates, he muttered. That's what we do. But he didn't cheer, and he didn't laugh. As the pirates returned with their spoil and set sail again, captured ship in tow, Jack took himself to the stern and looked back. The sea was red and scattered with bits of wood and sail. Men were bobbing around here and there. Some lay still on their backs. He saw a couple swimming towards a larger plank. The injured moaned faintly. And as he watched, a shark's fin pierced the blood-slicked sea and started to circle. And then another. And another. The pirates laughed, and many gathered to watch the sport, place bets and cheer. And there and then, Jack wasn't a little pirate boy any more, and he never wanted to be. And now he saw everyone aboard not as good-hearted rogues, but monsters who would kill you for the sport of it. He hated them, and he feared them, and the other pirates knew it when they caught his eye. Pete still joked with him and encouraged him, but he didn't meet his eye so much, didn't laugh as loud or long. One night, Jack was walking at the prow. It was a full moon. The sea was still and calm, and where the moon shone, it glowed with a strange phosphorescence. Sea creatures, Pete said. Little sea creatures, like glowworms. Two pirates were playing cards, and as he passed, he heard them muttering about dead weight and waste of bread. That night, he lay awake for hours listening to the creaks and the groans of the ship before he finally fell asleep. Jack woke with a start. A hand clamped around his mouth. Pete! The boys tiptoed over the deck amongst the sprawling pirates till they reached the rowboat that was shackled onto the side. Shh! Pete motioned as he quickly untied the knots and slowly the two boys lowered the boat till it touched the sea with barely a splash. What are you doing, Pete? They're going to kill you and you're my friend. That night they rowed till their hands bled. The night was dark and long, the sea soft and still. A gentle breeze pushed them along, a very small boat in a very large ocean. They never saw the pirate ship again. The next day, the sun rose fat and orange and cruel, and it grew quickly warm and then hot. The sun burnt them red, then brown, then black, burnt them till their tongues poked out of their heads and their eyes bulged. They had taken a barrel of beer with them, but that didn't last long. Jack just lay on the bottom of the boat, stupefied by the heat. Pete, though, was always up to something, hooking for fish with a length of string, then sucking at their bodies for their juice and cold blood, putting scales on the water to test the currents, holding a wet finger to the breeze. 
Jack never knew how long they were at sea. Time grew bloated and slowed down as Jack curled into a ball as if the sun was beating him with its fists. But then it would seem to speed up, giddily, so that day and night merged and the sun and moon seemed to race each other across the sky. Sometimes Pete seemed to be there, other times he was sure he was alone in the boat. At times he saw his parents, but then he blinked and they were gone. Then one day, a gigantic whale breached the sea. Jack had heard its noise, saw its immense bulk rear out, water streaming off its flanks. For a moment he saw its eye, and as he looked, it looked back. Then its mouth gaped, and in a roar of surf and noise, their boat was knocked skywards. Jack came to, clutching a broken piece of wood. He was lying there gasping for breath when he heard Pete laugh. Well, that bloody beats it all, doesn't it? They held onto the wood as a cold wind blew from the north, and the waves grew. Thunder and lightning crashed all around them. Jack thought of all the water beneath them, the thin he had seen cutting through that bloody sea. Then it was light, and seagulls were crying overhead, and in a rush and tumble of broken wood and pebbles, they crashed up onto a beach and lay there gasping like two dying fish. Bloody hell, Jack, we did it! They walked for the rest of the day till, as the sun was setting, they saw a wisp of smoke rising up from a small cottage. A short old man answered, and he quickly had them in and in front of the fire, a bowl of stew each in their hands. The next day, Pete started to cough. Put me next to the window, Jack, so I can see the sea. Jack sat up all night, till the coughing stopped. He held Pete's hand till he lay still and quiet. The old man and the boy buried Pete the next day, right out on the headland so Pete could feel the spray. Jack put a few boughs of heather in the ground to mark the spot and sat, as the sun went down, big and red, into the sea. Jack stayed with the man, who was quiet and kindly and seemed glad for the company for the rest of the autumn and through the hard winter. They fished a little, gathered fruits, got the milk from his goats and butchered his pig. One day Jack walked up the narrow path to Pete's grave. The winter storm had ruined his heather, so he picked some sprigs of bright yellow gorse, alive with bees, and stuck them in instead. Jack then turned and walked on the path away from the cottage, away from the sea. Many years later, a carriage can be seen travelling over a new dirt road. The land is a wild one, rough moorland, sheer cliff. When the road ends, the carriage stops and its occupants disembark. Two young women, tall and fair, they laugh at the wind catching their hair. Then an older man, his clothes fine and rich, still hale and hearty. The old man exchanges a few words with the coachman then, with his daughters, sets off towards the sea. Dusk finds them stood on a headland, and as the sun dies on them, the old man cuts a few boughs of gorse and places them in the ground.
Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed Lee Garrett's story, um, read by me, Ian Pringle. Um, if you like this uh, story, please do share it um, and you can like it, subscribe to the podcast, which is now available on iTunes and Spotify and all of those other places. Um, and if you like my voice and the work that I'm doing, then please do get in touch with me um, at my website, www.ianpringlevoiceover.com. Um, and you can find examples of other work that I've done on there. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.